listening to the Elim Church Northampton podcast. This message was recorded live as part of our regular Sunday service. We know that this is a great investment into your life. So tune in and give it a listen. For more information, visit elimnorthampton.com. You know, it's so amazing that God's goodness runs after us. You know, I've got some grandchildren and the younger ones, I have to run after them to keep check on them. But when you think about it, almighty God, shouldn't it be the other way around where we're running after him? But he is running after us and his goodness and his mercy and his love is just waiting to catch up with us. I wonder today if you're running after something else other than God. And even if you are, please know that Almighty God is running after you. And he's going to catch you. Say amen. Amen. He's going to catch you and he's going to smother you with his love. Well, welcome to church this morning. It is so good to see you. And those of you watching online, also welcome. And I have the privilege of beginning our new campaign on faith. You know, as I've talked about my grandchildren, many weeks ago, I was traveling to visit one of them. It was roughly about a two-hour journey, maybe a bit less. And it was a journey that I know very, very well. And I use Waze as my sat-nav, as my guidance. I don't really need it on that journey. But then Waze started to reroute me. And I thought, oh, there must be a a, a hold-up on the road that I'm going on, so I know a better way. And so I ignored ways and I turned off down these country lanes and I thought I knew better. And then after about four hours being behind all the traffic and stop and starting, I decided to get back on route with ways. You see, when ways reroutes me, I've learnt that I will follow because I don't know where I'm going at times like that. And even when I think I know, I've learned a lesson that when we know that we don't know, we're ready to have help. We're ready to turn to someone or something for the help that we need. But we have to get in that position where we acknowledge that we do not know. There are many times in our lives where we do not know which way to go. We don't know how to go forward in a particular problem. We don't know what to do in a particular situation. But we have an amazing God that is better than our ways, better than our sat-nav. If only we would acknowledge that he knows better than we do. If only we would acknowledge that we do not know. So when we don't know, when we know that we don't know, It's a great place to start with faith. So I had to accept the fact that I needed help. I needed to trust something beyond myself to get me to where I was going. And there are many times in our lives where we need to accept the help of God. And if you've got your Bibles with you, why don't you turn with me to the book of Samuel. In fact, it's 1 Samuel and it's chapter 14. And I'm going to read some scripture today. It's good to read some, some scripture in the house of God, isn't it? You know, I don't take it for granted that we've all had time to read our Bibles this morning or even this week. I don't mean any condemnation in that, but it's good to be able to read it in the house of God. 
And if you haven't got a Bible, it should be on the screen behind me. So one day, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come on, let's go over to where the Philistines have their outpost. But Jonathan didn't tell his father what he was doing. And meanwhile, Saul, Jonathan's father, he was the king, and his 600 men were camped on the outskirts of Gibeah, around the pomegranate tree at Migron. Among Saul's men was Ahijah the priest, who was wearing the ephod, which is the priestly vest. Ahijah was the son of Ichabod's brother Ahitub, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, who was the priest of the Lord who had served at Shiloh. The Bible is naming all these names for one purpose, to show us that this man, this King Saul, was surrounded by important people. He was surrounded by people that could help him navigate his way if he needed his way, if he got lost. They would help him find the way of the Lord. And no one realised that Jonathan had left the Israelite camp. He'd gone to reach the Philistine outpost. And Jonathan had to go down between two rocky cliffs that were called Bozes and Sene. Unusual that the Bible actually stops for a moment to even name these two mountains. The cliff on the north was in front of Michmash, and the one in the south was in front of Geba. In other words, what it's trying to tell us is that there was an Israelite camp on this side of one mountain. Then there was the Philistine camp on the other side of the mountain. And the two mountains only made a three-mile separation point, but there was two huge mountains keeping them apart. And Jonathan says, let's go across to the outposts of those pagans. He's calling them names now. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, and then he says this, perhaps the Lord may help us. For nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle, whether he has many warriors or only a few. Yeah, we understand that, that God doesn't need a crowd. He doesn't need an army. Do what you think is best, the armor bearer says. I'm with you completely, whatever you decide. But there's a word in that piece of scripture that I find unusual. Jonathan is renowned to be a man of faith, a man of God. And yet he uses in this words, in this line, in this sentence to his armor bearer, come on, let's go over and maybe, just maybe, the Lord will help us. You know, I, I've watched that film Braveheart with Mel Gibson. Anyone going to admit to that in here today? That is not a war prep talk, is it? That is not an encouraging talk to give to your men who's going into battle that maybe we'll get victory, maybe we'll win. No, when I rewind that film, Mel Gibson definitely doesn't say maybe. He infuses his men with a confidence that they are going to win. Not sure that they do, but he gives them that confidence. And I thought more about this. You know, that's not going to post well on our TikTok or our Instagram page, is it? You know, or even, do you ever, did you ever wear those t-shirts where it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? And then on the back you can have, maybe. <laughs> God will provide all of my needs. And on the back, maybe. Maybe we should get some t-shirts like that. With, with God, all things are possible. Maybe. The Lord cares for you and loves you. Maybe. Now, I, I just don't see it. I just think, could there have been a typing error? But then I know that the Bible is the infallible word of God to us. 
But when I start to understand the situation, the backdrop of this story, I realized that it was a terrifying situation. It was a very fearful circumstance that Jonathan and all the Israelites are in at the moment. You see, the Philistine army, it has 3,000 chariots and 6,000 charioteers, and it has all the arms they need, all the bows and the arrows and the swords, whereas the Israelite army, they only have 600 men, and out of those 600 men, they only have two swords. One is Saul's and one is Jonathan's. In fact, the Bible actually says in the chapter before that of the Philistine army, the, the men in the army were so numerous as the sand on the seashore. In fact, even the Bible couldn't be bothered to put a number to it. It was that vast. And when you have that many enemies sitting in wait for you, and the war is more real for us today because we see every day on the news, we see the Ukraine and Russia war. We see the devastation. We see the, the killings. We see the, it's like murder. And we see the oppression that the people are living under. You know, we have a real enemy and all he wants to do is to steal, kill and destroy. And at this time, this was God's people. This was God's chosen people, the Israelites. The Israelites that God had gone to such pains to extract them from Egypt and rescue them from Egypt. And he brought them to a promised land of milk and honey. And he blessed them and he loved them. And now here they are. They are subject to war, subject to terror, subject to fear. And they are in the losing battle. The men of this war, the Israelites, have become so scared that they found all sorts of places to hide. They're in holes, they're in cisterns, they're in caves, they're behind rocks. And now the army is whittled right down to 600 men who the Bible says are fear and trembling. God, this is your people. But as I look further into the story, I realized that they had turned their backs on God. They had decided to live life their own way. And even though they were living in the promised land, they were living under terror because God's hands was tied. The protection of God had, had gone away from them at this moment. In fact, King Saul... Have you ever been in a place where you are just so overwhelmed that you are paralyzed by fear? And the Bible tells us that King Saul has decided to sit down. In other words, he's abdicated his kingly duties and his kingly responsibilities and he sat down underneath a pomegranate tree. Why a pomegranate tree? He's so paralyzed, he's so hemmed in, he's so feared that he does not know what to do and he wants to sit and he wants to stay still. No longer does he want to be a warrior and fight. In other words, he's just sitting, waiting for the enemy to come and finish him off. And he's surrounded by everyone that can help him. He's surrounded by the priests and the generals. In fact, he's got many resources around him, but he chooses to sit because he's traded the Holy Spirit for a spirit of fear. At times in our lives, we all suffer blips where we may get a bit down or even depressed, and I call them duvet days. Anyone have those? You're not going to admit it, I know, but I am. A duvet day where you just want to pull the duvet over you and you do not want to see the world. You want to check out for a day. 
when everything just gets a bit too much. Just me and God. But on those days, it doesn't feel like that. It feels lonely. It feels isolating. It feels crippling. And I believe that King Saul was going through those motions at this time. (laughs) Maybe, maybe God will help us in this situation. You see, we don't find faith in the good times. (laughs) The good times, that's good. We find faith is exercised in the bad times. We don't find faith when we have got plenty. We find our faith kicks in when we are in need. We don't find faith when everything is so familiar, but we find that we need our faith when we step into something that is unfamiliar, when we start to go places we've never been before, when we start to do things we've never done before. Then we need the faith. We don't need faith when it's all comfortable, but when life suddenly gets chaotic and it changes and it feels like the rug's been pulled from under our feet, then we need faith to kick in. It's okay when life is so predictable, when work is so predictable, when the kids are so predictable, but when everything's unpredictable and it all changes, we need faith. We don't need faith when it's a certain, sure thing. We need faith when it's uncertain, when we're not sure what's going to happen, when we don't know, when we know that we don't know, then faith can kick in. I don't know about you, but I love to go on holidays. I love to go around the world and travel on airplanes. But I don't know how the plane works. And if I was starting to worry about that and be fearful of that, then I'd never go to all the amazing places and meet all the new people and do all the new things. You see, sometimes we have got to just trust and trust in some stuff that we don't know. It's okay not to know for sure. It's okay to have a a toe into faith by saying, maybe, maybe God will do this for me. We hear so much about you have to have so much faith and it's our faith that does this and our faith that does that. But a maybe faith is okay. And maybe faith works in this story today, and I'm going to show you how. You see, the next point is, um, it's a maybe, but then there's a move. You see, you can't stay sitting. Saul couldn't stay sitting in one place. And his son, Jonathan, was different. He was pacing about, and he wanted to do something. He was restless. He couldn't sit down. He, he He couldn't wait. He wanted to do something. And so he says, come on, let's go. And not just go, not run away. But come on, let's go to the Philistine outpost. Let's go to those pagans. Let's go and whoop them. It's okay to start with, maybe God will do this. Maybe God will help me. But sometimes there's some stuff in your life that you may have to do. You see, faith without works, without action is dead, James tells us. So that so often that when we are wanting a move of God, he's wanting us to make a move first. A move of faith. <laughs> so we look at Saul and he sat down around all the resources. But there's something else amongst his resources. 
He's got the priest, but he's got the priest who's wearing the ephod. Now, in those days, the ephod was a means of making decisions. Before they went to battle, they would inquire of God by using the ephod. I haven't got time to explain that in this sermon, but just trust me, it was a satnav of whether God was going to give them victory or not. And they would use this process to know whether to go forward in battle or not. But Saul isn't using it. He sat on it. He's licking his wounds. He's sat in fear paralyzed and he's not using the resources that God has made available. Surrounded by the ark, surrounded by the generals to make a plan, surrounded by the top priests of the country. He was too scared to move. So it's down to Jonathan and it starts with this. It starts with a concern Jonathan had a concern. He couldn't just turn away and ignore what was going on. He was sick and tired of being sick and tired. And he was watching what was going on. And he was saying, I've got to do something. Remember those bracelets that we used to wear when we were younger? What would Jesus do? WWJD. And I bet he was thinking, Lord, what would you do right now? But he's also thinking, I haven't got the ephod. I can't ask God because that resource is under the tree with the king. How? Have you ever been in a situation where you are trying to find God's will for your life? You're trying to find the word of God and you read your Bible and nothing jumps out. You pray and you fast, but there's those times where it's just silence. We know stuff to do that's good. We know that we've, there's some stuff we've got to do just because it's good and because it's righteous. But there's sometimes in our lives where we're seeking God for an answer. And Jonathan had none of these resources. And I wonder if he thought back to the boy Samuel. And the boy Samuel, remember, was sleeping in the temple. And God spoke to him. And three times he kept going to his priest who was in charge of him and said, I'm here, what do you want me to do? And then he realized it was God. See, Samuel could hear God's word like that. Do you know people in your life like that? They just get the word from God so easily. But here we have Jonathan, so frustrated He wants to do the will of God. He wants to bring freedom to the Israelites. He wants to claim that back for them. But God is silent. But is he silent? You see, he had this concern stirring in him. And I think when a concern, a godly concern stirs in our soul, I think it's the Holy Spirit inside of us, our inside navigation system, trying to get our attention, trying to get our attention to look at something instead of turn away, trying to get inside of us so that we can't do anything else but act and do something to change the situation. We can't sleep without thinking about it. We, we want to get involved. I don't know about you, but I get those times in my life and you sense something in your heart. There's no actual boom out word written down, but you start to sense something. And You want change. You don't want to put up with the way things are. You want the freedom to come. You want the victory come. And you see the pain and it's like, don't you see that? And no one sees it like you see it. And Can you see the mess of that? Can you see that? Need someone to sort that out? Can you see? When you can see stuff that other people don't see, it could be God getting your attention to get involved 
You see a need. You see something that God is tapping you on the shoulder. He's tugging at your heart and he's saying, this way. You want to interfere. You want to do something. You want to help someone. Uh, perhaps you don't want to interfere. Perhaps you're very British, but I'm one of them people that, oh, I, I, I find it hard not to interfere. You know when you're at the checkout in the supermarket and there's a, um, an older lady in front and she's trying to find her pennies and she can't find it? I want to say, here, love, and pay for her stuff and get her out the way and bless her at the same time. But, you know, my husband will probably say, no, don't, don't interfere. Leave her, leave her. But I am one of those people that I have to get involved. I have to interfere, you know, if there's a child running in the road. Yes, I'm there. And I think we should be people that in the right time, in the right place, interfere in a godly way. It could be discernment. It could be a Holy Spirit prompting. And I wonder if some of us have forgotten that gift Forgotten those times when we feel the unction of the Holy Spirit and we act upon it. You see, in Hebrews 8.10, it says this, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Now I read that as they don't need this ephod anymore. They don't need an external thing anymore. Now they can feel and sense the moon of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is within us. So Jonathan had the unction of the Holy Spirit to do something about the situation that his nation was in. He had a desire to do something. He had the fight to do something. He had the tenacity to do. He had the energy to do something. He had the ability. And guess what? He had a sword. Only two people had swords. And he felt the call, the call of God Tugging, tugging. Maybe you think, oh, God never, never uses me. But do you allow God to use you? You see, you have to move sometimes. And Jonathan was willing to move away from the safety of the camp and the protection of these 600 men, to move away from his father, to move away from the crowd. And he was willing to move and position himself into a place where God just maybe, just might use him. Sometimes we've got to move into the will of God before we see God move. When we move, God moves. And then they come to the mountain. Jonathan had to go between two rocky cliffs that were called Bozes, which means slippery slope, and Senna, which means thorny cliff. I'm not going to go too much into that, but if you can imagine, there was two rocky mountains and, and one was very slippy and he could lose his foothold at any time and he would be dead. And the other side he couldn't go too close to because it was too rocky and it was dangerous and would probably cut his skin. When God starts to lead us into a place, he sends us on a path that isn't always easy. In fact, it's hardly ever easy, but also on a path where once he started the journey, there was no going back. It was a small route and it went through the mountains. And yet I bet he was holding on to some good scriptures about slipping and sliding because it says here, I lift up my eyes to the hills, to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let my foot slip. 
So even though these mountainous regions were actually named with something that could trip him up on his walk, trip him up on his journey, he had a mighty God. He had the assurance of the word of God that God was going to keep him safe. But when we start off on these faith journeys, even if it's a, a maybe God will turn up faith journey, there are some people that can't journey with us. There are some people that maybe we do life with right now that cannot journey with us into our next season. It's not, not always because it's bad, but sometimes you need a new type of friends around you, a new type of people around you that can run the new walk with you. That's not an excuse to get rid of friends or anyone, but God gives us wisdom. And there are some places that some people can't go with us. He didn't tell his father if he had told his father, King Saul's fear would have put on his son. King Saul's fear would have said, no, you can't. No, you can't go. It's too dangerous. Sometimes we've got to be wise who we share stuff with. We've got to be careful, especially when God is doing something on the inside of us. We've got to find people that are godly people, people that have walked the walk before us, people, friends and leaders that are trustworthy and they're honest enough to say, mm, that's not God, that's too much cheese. But they'll also say at a time, you know what? Do whatever you think because I'm with you all the way like the armor bearer. Do what you think best. I'm with you completely, whatever you decide. Many, many years ago, when we felt that tug, when we felt that call to go to Bible college, there were so many things against us. It didn't seem, it didn't seem sensible in the natural. It didn't seem like it was conventional wisdom. But day after day, we felt assured and we felt convinced that this was the call of God for our lives. And it was a maybe season, a maybe step of faith for us as we started to um, explore that possibility. But some people around us, and you know, it's often those that love you most because they know you most. They know you doesn't God know you? No, they know what you can't do, what you're not capable of. And there were some very well-meaning people that loved us but didn't agree with what we thought God was saying. You have to protect what it is that God is saying to you in your heart, what God is, is working on the inside of you. you. You do need people to share it with, but make sure they're godly people. Make sure they're leaders and they're encouragers and they're wise people. And don't just go about telling everyone. You need proven, honest, loyal people. You've got to choose wise who you go on your journey with, who you confide in. So they leave the crowd. They leave the comfort of the camp. If that was comfortable, I don't know. They leave the army and the priests and the ephod and all the resources that could keep them close to God. They left it in the camp. And then they discovered, Jonathan discovers something wonderful, that even though he leaves everything in the camp as he finds himself winding through these two mountains, he realizes as he goes through, he is there almost alone. Yes, he's got his trusted armor bearer, but almost alone. And yet he feels the presence of God because God is with him. God is leading him. There's sometimes 
times where we are surrounded by so much stuff, so much activity, so many people, so many voices that we don't get alone with God and we can't hear God. We can't feel the presence of God. And we need to take those moments, maybe not go through a mountain range, but we need to take those moments out of quietness where there's no one else around and it's just me and God. I don't know how long that journey took him but he scaled with his hands and his feet. That's how difficult the terrain was. (laughs) I wonder whether doubt went through his mind. I wonder whether fear went through his heart. He, after all, was going towards a vast army and there was only him and his armor bearer who didn't have a sword. Will God come through? Will you, Lord? Lord, can you hear me? I need you. I'm I'm doing this, Lord, in faith. And every step that he's taking, he's taking one step and he's checking that it's all safe. He's taking another step and he's checking that it's all safe. I don't know where that phrase comes from, a leap of faith. My experience has always been a teeny tiny step of faith as my faith grows. He was tiptoeing maybe through the mountain range may be reluctant to come to the camp at the end of it. Hmm. As we go through mountain experiences with God, they're tests, they're trials. And some tests and trials feel so impassable, so impossible. But we've got to keep climbing. We've got to do what Jonathan did. We've got to keep one step at a time, little by little, gaining ground, going higher and higher and higher until eventually our trials and our tests, our trials become our testimonies. You see, we need a higher level of faith. Jonathan needed a much higher level of faith, it required a climb. And maybe God will, faith requires a climb because he was going to go to a new height. He was going to go to a new trust in God. He was also going to go through a a new humility experience for himself. He was going to go through a new discipline experience. He was going to have a new awareness of the power and the strength and the might and the presence of Almighty God. He was going to go to a new level of faith. In fact, I think with every step that he was taking up that mountain range, he was gaining a new strength, a new tenacity, a new hope. Maybe he was getting a new confidence. Maybe the maybe was turning into a more positive thing. He hadn't quite got to the God will yet, but he was getting there. And he was getting ready to face the enemy. If we're going to make any progress in our lives, if we're going to do the things that God wants us to do, if we're going to attain the freedom that God has paid for us to live in, then there are some enemies that we have to face. Not only do we have to face them, and I don't know what yours is. Maybe yours is rejection. Maybe it's addiction. Whatever your enemy is, not only do you have to face it, 
but you have to chase it down and kill it. And all his going through the mountains was preparing him to be able to do that, that when he faced the enemy, he would not only face the enemy, but he would chase it down and kill it. See, when you get to the top of a mountain, you get an amazing view. When you reach the top of the mountain, are there any mountaineers in this place? On a clear day, you can see for miles and miles. You get a new perspective on everything. And so to speak, when we climb the mountains of the trials in our lives with God, when we reach the top of that mountain, God gives us new eyes to see new things in a new way. He gives us a better perspective. We realize that God is in control. We realize that the enemy is under our feet. We realize that we can step and live in the freedom that God, that Jesus Christ has purchased for us. But we have to go through that mountain to realize that. I wonder what your mountain is this morning. But I do pray that you'll start to scale it And then when you get to the top, you'll have a a higher view. And the air is fresher at the top of a mountain. And then you see God better. And so they've gone up the mountain. And they are going to face the enemy. And this is where the miracle has got to come in. They're desperate. If the miracle doesn't come in, they're dead. And so is the rest of Israel. So they get to the top of the mountain and then Jonathan says a really stupid thing to his armor bearer. We will let them see us. Mm, Yeah, that's a good strategy in a war zone. We will let them see us. And then if they say to us, come on up to us, then we will go to them. But if they say, stay there, we won't go. Well, yeah, that seems like a good battle plan. That seems like throwing a fleece out, doesn't it, to the Lord? I don't get that, but... It happens the way that Jonathan wants. And so he takes it as a sign from God that then his confidence goes to one step further and says, God will give us the enemy. And he picks up his only sword and some miracle takes place where just one sword, him and his armor bearer slay 20 Philistine soldiers with one sword. Aha, I think this is what happened. I think um, Jonathan kills the first one, then his armor bearer gets the sword of the dead one. Then they kill another one, then they've got two swords each in their hands, and that's the way they do it. But, but, come on, 20, 20 tested and tried military soldiers against an armor bearer and a king's son? Oh, I think that's a miracle. God came through, then maybe God will help us was a definite God has helped us because God, no army is a match for heaven's armies, the multiple armies, the unseen armies of God. We can't see the angels all around us that are constantly protecting us and fighting ground for us. But there's one key thing that happens here. Not only did they get a miracle, and it is a great miracle, 
Because not only did these men get killed, all of a sudden there's confusion in the camp and the Philistines start turning on each other so they're killing each other and there is such a kerfuffle that it goes on and on and on to all the battlefields, to all the camps that they're in across the country. They start killing each other in fear and trembling and then to top that, there's an earthquake. That's got to be God. And so as there's turmoil in the camp and then the, the Israelites are just sort of watching this unfold, in fact, that's what happens when God does stuff for us, we don't have to fight the battle. The battle belongs to the Lord. And there they are just watching God fight the battle, watching their enemies slay each other, kill each other, run in fear from them. And they are now free. They are now, they take the oppression off them. They have won the battle because when you step out in a maybe faith, it helps others. Whenever you step out in faith for something that you can just say, maybe God will help me, not only does he help you, but it has a knock-on effect that it helps your family, it helps your friends, it helps your church, it helps your colleagues. What God does in your life, the blessings that God puts on your life, runs down and touches the people around you, even if they don't know God. But here was the heart of Jonathan. I don't think Jonathan wanted to go up that mountain and face that army for himself. He did it for others. He did it for his nation. He did it for people that he didn't even know personally. And isn't that just like Jesus? Maybe if I go to the cross, I'll save them. Maybe if I go to the cross, they'll believe in me. Maybe if I go to the cross, they will be my people. Maybe. Maybe God will give us a new church building. And as Pastor Jason and I and our team, as we start to pray and seek God, we're on a maybe faith. Maybe God will open this door and we're going through a step at a time as each thing ticks off the list and sometimes we face the mountain and we get stopped in our tracks because we can't go any further forward and we're waiting for God to do a miracle after miracle. But as we do it again, we keep walking. We keep walking until God is going to shut the door, which we don't believe he's going to. And we're going to keep walking because we maybe, maybe, maybe God wants to bless this church in Elim, Northampton. Maybe he wants a better place for our youth to meet. Maybe he wants a better place for our parents in the crash. Maybe he wants a better place for our kids' church. Maybe he wants a better place for us to fellowship with each other afterwards, after church. Maybe he wants a place where we can open up our doors and do evangelism and do outreach. Maybe God wants to bless this town and beyond by simply providing us with a facility. Maybe God, maybe God will give us a new building. I don't know. I don't know for sure. But I'm taking every step, waiting for doors to open. Because I know that I don't know. And I'm okay with not knowing. I'm okay with all that. I just want to walk in faith a step at a time and see what God can do. I wonder 
what God could do with you. I wonder what God could do with your life. I wonder if maybe you're in a place like King Saul where it's just got too much and you just want to sit down. You feel hemmed in. You feel paralyzed by all the stuff going on. You feel out of control. But maybe we need to pick you up and help you walk a step at a time. Maybe God will do something. Maybe God will heal your marriage. I don't know. Maybe you have to move some things into place for that to happen. Maybe God will bring you healing. Maybe God will do something like a promotion in your job. Maybe God will help you fill your cupboards with the food that you need every week. Maybe God would help you pay your bills. Maybe God would ask you to move into trusting him and tithing so that he could release favor on your finance. Maybe. What is your maybe today? You need a miracle. You need something that is beyond yourself. You need something to happen that you don't know how it's going to happen. You might have come to the end of your tether, the end, come to a brick wall, and you don't know which way to turn. But there is one that knows the way out. His name is Jesus. I wonder if you're in this place today and you need a miracle. You need God to move in your life. Why don't we just pray for a moment? Father God, all around this auditorium and for those watching online right now, we gather together as your people and we pray. We pray for a miracle. We pray that maybe, Lord, you would move in the areas that we need you to move. Lord, in our marriages, in our jobs, in our finances, Lord, even in our emotions or our ministry or our children, in our bodies and our sickness, Lord, we're not sure, but Lord, we're asking that maybe you will help us. And we come to you this morning, Lord, with that honesty that we don't know why you do stuff and when you do stuff and who you do it for. But Lord, we're asking for a maybe. Lord, we're saying, look at me. I need you, Lord, this morning. Maybe, God, you will help me. And if you're in this place today or you're watching online, maybe you need to trust Jesus. Maybe you've never asked Jesus into your life, into your heart, and you don't understand when I was talking about being moved by the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit talks to us through our heart. Maybe you'd like to try. You know, you're not really sure, but maybe you'd like to try. If that's you, I'm going to say a prayer that you can repeat in your heart or out loud, wherever you are. Dear Lord Jesus, I'm not quite sure, but I'm testing out this maybe. Maybe, Lord, maybe you can change my life right now. I'm asking you to come into my heart. I'm asking you, Lord God, to forgive the stuff I've done wrong that we call sin. I'm asking you, Lord God, to forgive me of all that stuff. Cleanse me and fill me with your Holy Spirit. 
that maybe I would experience these miracles in my life. In Jesus' name. You know, just before we finish and sing, maybe in this place today or watching online, maybe you need to move toward forgiveness. Maybe you need to say sorry to someone you've hurt. That takes humility. You know, even in marriage, it is so good to say sorry even when it's not your fault, but to bring reconciliation. And maybe something has broken down in one of your relationships and there's such a power in apology. Maybe God will help you do that today. Maybe you feel a bit disconnected and far away from God. Simply ask him. Say, Lord, I want to come back. I want to reconnect. Maybe, maybe your life will change and be reconnected to God. You know, maybe there's some stuff going on that you need to maybe pray again, read your Bible again, fast again, get back into regular fellowship again. Maybe you just got a need and you're wondering, will God meet this need? And we have this amazing, easy way of asking, Lord, I thank you for everyone that has listened today. And Lord, I know that you can take a trillion prayers right now. But Lord, your people, as we, as we pray to you, we say, Lord, help us in our situations and help us in our maybe faith. Help us, Lord, to move into positions so that, Lord, we would be closer and we might just maybe experience your miraculous ways. In Jesus' name, amen.